Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 27th, and our chapters for today are chapters 7 and 8. I'm really going to be centering in on chapter 8 because it is so rich. Chapter 7, of course, follows chapter 6 where he deals with the concept of the new man and how in Christ Jesus we are identified with him, we're in union with him, we are justified by grace through faith, we deserve separation, death, hell, damnation. But in Christ Jesus, we have the gift of eternal life. And he makes that very clear. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he continues his conversation with the Romans in chapter 7 by talking about how God has freed us from our own selves, from the law of sin and death. And when he talks about law, it's talking about the reality of something. There is a law like the Ten Commandments, but there are laws as axioms and maxims that are in all of life. And sin brings about death. It brings about bondage. It brings about slavery. And this is why the Apostle Paul talks about if you are continuing in sin, you're a slave to sin. Because whoever it is that you love, whoever it is that owns you, you will do their will. So if your life is characterized by sinning, that is, that it is more recognizable as the life of one separated from God who does his own thing, does her own thing, lives their own life, does what they want to do, and uses God as a crutch, that's obvious that that's not the life of the child of God. Now, can a person who is saved act like they're lost? Yes, but they cannot live like they're lost over a period of time because that is not the way the child of God lives. And if a person continues to live like that, they will fall under the discipline and the judgment of God. And many times God will take a person home to heaven rather than have them on this earth desecrating and disgracing his name. There is a sin unto death for the child of God. Now, God in his great mercy and love is so kind to us and so gracious to us that more than likely we don't know a lot of people where this has really come about, but it does happen. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is that as you read through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, it becomes obvious that there is a distinction between the child of God and those who are lost. And the child of God is a living a life of obedience to God, intentional obedience. You see, as a child of God, we cannot live like many in the West who are living a culturalized Christianity that is not the Christianity of the New Testament. That is, it is a very common testimony to say, you know, I was saved when I was 8 or 10 or 12, but I lived like hell until I was 35. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And people will say, well, you know, like most people, whoa, 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 we've got to back up on this. This is not the normal for the child of God. 
This is something that we've invented. The child of God, please hear me. The life of the child of God is a life of obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't fail, that you don't sin, that you don't fear away from God, get out of the will of God. But to live that as a way of life for decades and say, well, you know, I was just going through so in my wild oats. No, 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 no. There may not be any kind of other oats than wild oats because the life of the child of God is a life of obedience. And hear me, there is no assurance of salvation outside of an obedient life. You see, the one that is the child of God perseveres. They go on with God. Yes, they may step out of line, but they're going to step back in line because they're children of God and they're going to be disciplined. And the disposition and the intentions of a child of God is to obey God. That is what being a child of God is all about. After all, the devil's not our father. The flesh is not our father. The world's not our father. God is our father. And he has planted his divine nature within us. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. We have implanted within us his divine nature so that our desire is to please him. Yes, we can get out of the will of God, but many times we give the impression that you can be saved and just live like any way you want to outside the will of God, and that somehow that any time you want to, you can just turn around. That's not the case. The fact is, many who bow, quote, an altar, unquote, the squall and cry and go on, and then they get up and there is no life change, that's not New Testament Christianity. Christianity in the New Testament, becoming a follower of Jesus. This is why I talk about being a follower of Jesus. Those who followed Jesus in the New Testament, the pattern of their life was to be obedient to God. And Paul deals with this in chapter 7. And he talks about those who are out from under the rule and the control of the Spirit of God. He says, if you do not have the Spirit of God living in you, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, you don't belong to him. Yes, you wrestle with the flesh. Yes, you wrestle with sin. But as a child of God, you are going to be walking in the way of the Lord more than you're walking in the way of sin. It is just the opposite of what the Bible teaches, that we can be saved and live any way we want to. You say, well, I'm free. Freedom in the biblical sense is not freedom to do whatever you want to do. That is foreign from the Bible. You'll find that nowhere. Freedom in the New Testament, freedom in the biblical sense is not freedom to do whatever you want to, but freedom now to do the will of God. Why? Because your will has been freed up through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and your spirit, your dead spirit has now been made alive and you are under the dominion of Jesus and you choose to do that on a regular basis with intentionality. You do this intentionally. This is very important that we understand this. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to wrestle with sin. That doesn't mean that you're not going to give in to sin. That doesn't mean that you're not going to fall away and get out of the will of God and make bad decisions from time to time. But it's not a lifestyle. If it is your lifestyle, then you need to check and make sure you understood what it meant to become a child of God. 
To become a child of God means you surrender your life to him, the totality of who you are to the totality of who you know him to be as described in the Bible, not a Jesus of your own making, not a God of your own making. And so this is what the wrestling is all about in chapter 7. In chapter 8, after he has come to the end of himself in verse 24 of chapter 7, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death that I'm living in. Who will deliver me? Well, he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If I'm going to be living under the dominion of the flesh, then I'm going to be serving sin. But God has placed his law within my heart, just like Jeremiah in the new covenant promise gave to us in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. And so we are under the new covenant. We have been given the spirit of God to live within us. And so he comes to chapter eight with this glorious declaration He said, there is, therefore, the word there is in italics, and it makes good sense to put it in there. That's what an italicized word is about. It's not in the text. It just starts out saying, therefore. Remember, anytime you see a wherefore, therefore, stop and ask yourself the question, what is that wherefore, therefore, therefore? In this case, he is drawing a conclusion. How can I be free? How can I know that I am saved? How can I know that I am redeemed? How can I know that there is not going to be judgment against me when I stand before God in heaven? Well, Paul answers that. Therefore, on the basis of what Jesus has done and his deliverance and his redemption, therefore, right now, there is no condemnation. Now, the word is katakrima. And crema is the word for penalty. It's the word for um, a charge that you have been convicted of and judgment is coming upon you. You're, you're going to be sentenced. And a kata is a preposition. Kata is a preposition that intensifies and has the concept of down as far as the direction of the preposition itself. So to bring down upon, it's the idea of intensification like epi is above, kata is down. And so what he says, kata krema, that is bringing down judgment upon you or the penalty that's rightly deserved. He said there is no Now, at this moment, right now, not when we get to heaven, we'll never be judged concerning our salvation when we stand before God. That judgment was settled the moment you bowed your knee to Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus. That was settled once and for all, for all eternity. Right now, Paul said, there is no penalty, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because those who are in Christ Jesus are not dominated by the flesh. They are dominated by the spirit. You say, well, I'm dominated by the flesh. Is this a way of life? If, if it is, you've totally misunderstood what being saved is all about. And you're either very ignorant and you're a babe and you need to immediately get under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God and find a mentor. Get out of the church where you are if you're not preaching the Bible and and you're not growing and get into a Bible-believing church. You say, well, there's none in my area. Well, then you need to contact somebody and we'll start one in your area. But more than likely there is one. You just don't know about it, but you need to search. But if you do not have a church in your area where the Bible is preached, you contact me and uh, we'll do everything we can to begin a 
church in your area where you can be fed the word of God. This is critical because there's so much ignorance. There's so much of Jesus saves. Wonderful. We need to preach Jesus saves every Sunday. That's great. But there's more to the Christian life than just Jesus saves. Jesus is more than just a fire escape from hell. He is our Redeemer, our Lord, our Savior. And to those who believe, He is precious. It's not evangelism and discipleship. It's discipleship and evangelism is part of the discipleship process. It's the beginning of it. But evangelism begins before that first witness that you give. God's already been working in that heart because he loves those people more than you do. And so what I'm saying is we are ignorant. And because of our ignorance, we are being defeated by the devil many times, those who truly are saved. Right now, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no penalty. Why? Because the penalty was paid when Jesus died on the cross outside the city walls at the place of the skull. In Latin, it's called Calvaria, which is the word for skull. It was skull hill in Aramaic and Hebrew, it's Golgotha. And it means the same thing, the place of the skull. It was there where Jesus hung on a cross and he died to pay the penalty for your sin. He paid the sin debt that you owed. And what is the penalty? Death. And you say, well, uh, well, uh, you mean he's already forgiven me of all I'll ever do before I even did. How many sins did you committed when he died? None. You had not personally committed any. But he forgave you, he cleansed you, and he paid for your sin knowing that the wages of sin is death. You would sin, he would pay the penalty. He only dies once. It doesn't matter if you sin once, you die. If you sin a million times, you die. The penalty for sin is death, and Jesus paid that. So there's no condemnation, no judgment to you. When you, as a child of God, stand before God one day, you're going to be judged at the bema, at the judgment seat, at the reward seat of Christ, not to determine whether you're going to heaven, but what you have done in this life since heaven came to live in your heart, since Jesus came to live in your life, since he dominated your life, what have you done since then? That's what you're going to stand in judgment for is how you've lived your life, not to determine your salvation. That's been determined or you wouldn't be before the bame of Christ. You're there for rewards. And that payment, that judgment seat of Christ, is to determine what your rewards will be. And the reason we get rewards, of course, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and chapter 5, is to cast those at the feet of Jesus, our Savior. And so he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have the Spirit of God living in them, they are dominated by the Spirit, not by the flesh. They're living an intentional life of obedience. And because of that, uh, they're saved, they're justified, there is no penalty for sin, you are declared righteous. That's what Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all about. And then he comes down to verse 9, he said, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives, dwells, has taken up residence in your heart. But he said, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, living, taking up residence in his heart, he doesn't belong to him, he's not his. In other words, you're not saved. Now, this is very important because every child of God has the Spirit of God living and dwelling in their lives. This is the teaching confluently and consistently all the way through the New Testament that God's Spirit lives within the life of the believer and He wants to dominate our lives. 
And so that doesn't mean that we're not going to have hardship. We're not going to be tempted. We're not going. All of those things are true of lost and saved. We're going to have hardship as part of a fallen, sinful, cursed human race and universe. We're going to be tempted because the tempter is out to get us. And we are waiting in this life for the redemption of our bodies. That is, listen. We are saved from the penalty of sin the moment we're saved for all eternity. Daily, we're being saved by the power of sin as we allow the Spirit of God to dominate our lives and control our lives. We are more and more being conformed to the image of Jesus. God takes trials, troubles, hardships, all of those things, and He takes those and like sandpaper sharpens us, molds us, refines us. All of these analogies, the fire, the temptation, all of that, the testing, All of that has to do with God bringing us into the image of Jesus. But we will never be free from sin in this life until we die and go to be with Jesus or he snatches us away with the raptus, with the rapture of the church, and he takes us away. Why? Because then and only then will we be glorified in the presence of Jesus from the presence of sin forever. So we're saved from the penalty of sin the moment we're saved. We're continually being saved from the power of sin in our daily walk with God. The more we take the scripture in, we saturate our lives with it. The more we walk in obedience, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. And he takes all the trials and troubles and heartaches and all of that and molds us into the image of Jesus. Now, this is very important. Hear me. When you are saved, you will live in a sinful body for the rest of your days until you die. And when the body is resurrected, that is not the moment you die. The moment you die, your body goes to the grave or to the water or to wherever it is, and it will all return to dust. It will all go back to where it came. But one day, the resurrection is about that body reformulating, and your soul and spirit, which is in the presence of Jesus, will one day reunite. That's called the resurrection, when when the body stands again. Anastasia, the word for resurrection, means ana again. Uh, Stasio, which comes from me, which means to stand. It's a physical term. Resurrection is you will stand again one day and you will have a body like the one Jesus had after his resurrection. And that body is glorified. It's called a glorified body. It is called one that is clothed with glory and we will never sin again. That is when we will be saved, not just from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin forever. And this is part of what Paul is saying. What he's saying is until that process happens and we are freed from the very presence of sin, then we need to keep some things in mind. And this will be the next podcast where I will speak to you about Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, and we will talk about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But for now, for On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.